a big day today, right? Because oh, we are ce- yeah. we are celebrating the birthday of the 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 father of the communist movement. It is it's Marx's birthday. Yeah, it is. Uh, it is our spooky dad's birthday. How have you been celebrating? I've been I've been doing exactly what Marx would be doing today, and that's making memes, working on his podcast, and and writing leftist media critique. Yeah, uh, I've been I've I've also been doing what I believe um, uh, Carl would want, which is um, drinking a lot of wine and arguing about Hegel with people. So I mean, that is <laughs> you are you are doing exactly what he was doing. <laughs> Yeah, uh, we're keeping the flame alive. <laughs> we just need to like, like later tonight. I just need to like go go on a massive pub crawl and then get into a fight with like a like I don't know like a Christian socialist or something. Oh, it'd be amazing! It'd be amazing. Yeah. That's that's how you mark the day. Right. That, um, that's that's like the ultimate mark. Mark's birthday activity is is a pub crawl that ends in a heated intellectual debate, followed by fight. <laughs> of course. <laughs> um. Yeah. So has it has it been a good day all in all? Oh yeah, yeah. It's been. I mean, you can't go. You can't go wrong on Marx's birthday. It's one of. The, yeah. It's one of those like. It's one of those blessed days where you just go out into the city street and you see everyone and they're wearing their Marx t-shirts. They're, yeah. they're like clip-on Marx beards. The seasons in the air. Everyone. Everyone's saying hi, comrade, and shaking your hand as you walk down the road. It's truly beautiful. Talking about the need to sort of bring down Western civilization. Oh yeah, yeah, and, and to and to like uh, uh, to decrease the visibility of breasts in video games as a means to destroy the Western man. I, I can, that's my favorite Marx essay. Yeah, I mean that's quite a big deal, actually. I I know we don't like to talk about it, like generally as as people who are Marxists, but you know that's that's like ninety percent of the whole program is. <laughs> I mean, that's is, really everything I do. I, I just I just like I hack into video games on the server, and I, I find I find the file of the slider that controls breast size, and I just take it down like ten percent. And and the other uh, part of it is also censoring conservatives on social media. Oh, absolutely, yeah. That's that's a big part of yep. it. That was that was actually what the lost volume of Capital Capital Volume Four <laughs> is actually all about. It's all about deplatforming conservatives and why it's good. Um, <laughs> so this is, you, you're to, yeah, Capital Volume Four is all about like like shadow banning Charlie Kirk. <laughs> Uh, which it's just good. It's just good Marxist praxis, basically. Uh, you know that is praxis. That is that is direct action. You know it gets the goods, man. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and of course, uh, un- make- unrelated, unrelated side note: Did you see the Laura Loomer video? No. Uh, so um, apparently, uh, Laura Loomer's brain has been melting at an alarming rate, <laughs> and there's there's a new video going about, and it's her showing up on on the. Um, Infowars talk show. I don't know. I've never actually watched an episode of Infowars, but um, it's it's her, and she's like, she, she it's not even like it's not screaming, it's not crying, it's like that affect you've had when when like a cosmic ray has just annihilated your relationship to reality, <laughs> and 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 she's just going on about how she's been destroyed, how she doesn't have a life anymore, how she doesn't know what's going on, and then like you get you get this really awkward moment where like. Alex Jones is like, oh, okay, you looks like you got uh, some stuff to work on. Bye. This <laughs> <Just laughs> fucking cold hangs up on her. Uh, mate, honestly, honestly, I know, I, I know this for a fact. Like, no matter how good we get at posting and being online, we will never come close to being Laura Luma. <laughs> no, because like, she's she's like a real. She's like if Leave Britney Alone was a Nazi. <laughs> Uh, 
Uh, honestly, I think I think Jack should just give her back a Twitter account. I think <laughs> just just do it. I mean, come on, she's she has put the work in. No, maybe 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 Ezra Klein is right. Maybe we can do like a cap and trade here. Like we give we give Laura Loomer her account back, but uh, Prison Paul can only tweet like once a month now. Uh, uh that that look, that's look, the one, that's trade. the one. That's the one time that I will agree with Ezra Klein about anything. <laughs> Shit. Okay, uh, we're, we're, we're sorry, everyone. This is now the uh, horror liberalism podcast. Uh, so, John, what's your stance on cap and trade for jump scares? Because I believe that a very aggressive 80-20 split will help curb jump scare corruption. I, I Honestly, I think that what's needed is a series of jump scare credits. Oh, brilliant. That can be used by production companies. Uh yeah you know me- means tested across oh, all course, of the studios of yes. to make sure that you know it's being distributed fairly and equally across the entire spectrum of hollywood output you know because i have some re- colleagues at stanford who are working on an app that can means test <laughs> spookiness and i think i'll get them in touch with you right now uh ezra invite us on your podcast <laughs> does he even have a podcast is he allowed to podcast i thought podcasting was our thing uh, shockingly, I, I believe, I suspect, I don't know, I suspect that he's got a podcast, a Voxcast. Oh, <laughs> visible, visible uh, shiver. Greetings, friends of the great beyond. This is your ghost, I mean host, ready to take you behind the veil of terror and leftist critique. Welcome to the Horror Vanguard. But speaking of uh, speaking bankrupt of... <laughs> political liberalism... Ooh, oh, oh uh, my god, wait, wait we had to, to celebrate this moment, right? I know I just ruined it, but we had to celebrate the fact that that was the first real in-the-moment transition we've ever had. Oh my goodness, we did it, we did it! We 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 got we got a segue that works that made uh, sense. Th- thank you, everyone. Uh, this is this is a uh, holy episode thirteen, and we finally finally is this episode thirteen, or is this episode uh, twelve? It's canon that this is now thirteen, even if it's twelve. Even if it's, it's twelve, this is thirteen. Yeah, <laughs> we're we're gonna be like hotels where they don't have like room six 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 or thirteen. We're gonna skip twelve. <laughs> it only took us over ten episodes to come up with a decent. Uh, segue which ash then promptly ruined immediately <laughs> wrecked it i'm sorry i got so, I got so excited we finally we finally did podcasting right and then and then I, I you know I, I tripped over our own podcast dick it was horrible Ugh. as always as always <laughs> <laughs> um but now that you've completely obliterated the segue that i was trying to work with let's talk about the film shall we <laughs> Yes, let us let us talk about you know it's it's truly a blessed day. It's it's the birthday of Karl Marx, and it's now officially International Sam Raimi's Horror Movies Day. Yeah, woo, Sam! Oh, uh, so good, such a good director. We are talking about 2009's uh, Drag Me to Hell, Sam Raimi's triumphant return to the horror genre after directing the Spider-Man trilogy. Uh, up until 2008 i think was spider-man 3 um i do believe so yeah that's right that's right you know i always forget how early those spider-man movies were because 
the first Spider-Man movie had the closing scene of uh, Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man uh, web-slinging in between the Twin Towers that they had to uh, abruptly and last minute recut to uh, CG Spider-Man jumping on a flagpole. Yikes. In the wake of 9-11. And uh, yeah, Spider-Man. So after Spider-Man, Sam Raimi returns to the horror genre, returns to his uh, to the clutches of his spooky friends, uh, and makes uh, this, which he had a story which he had been working on or had kind of had in in the in the vault in the crypt uh, somewhere since like the seventies. Yeah, the the story goes that it's been it was kicking around for at least a decade beforehand. But you can see the influence of the entire Sam Raimi horror mindset radiating through this one. Like, like you, you, you can see like the the echoes of even like his really early horror stuff, like within the woods in this. Yeah. So, uh, Ash, as per usual, would you be willing to offer uh, one of your uh, peerless summaries slash reviews slash introductions to this film for people? You have not yet seen it, and as always, spoilers apply. Yes, absolutely. And and as always, we're covering a movie that's like 4,000 years old. <laughs> so if you haven't seen it, I mean, what, hopefully this will recommend What are you doing, you. man? Go, go, go watch a movie. Go watch a movie 10 years ago, 15 years ago, <laughs> occasionally 100 years ago. Go watch we, one of those old films that we recommend. <laughs> we do this all the time. <laughs> Uh, so what is so what is Drag Me to Hell all about then? So uh, Drag Me to Hell is about the uh, inner strength and and final uh, moment of resistance before her death uh, of of an old uh, uh, Romani woman who had moved to America to try and find the streets paved with gold, you know, that she had likely heard about in her youth, mm-hmm. and and in hopes of finding a better life, she she took out a loan from a bank to buy a house for her family. To, to, to raise children, to, to try something new and something beautiful. Mm-hmm. But, but these, these, she's beset by these demonic, leech-like forces that, that uh, attempt to, as you know, the title of the movie suggests, drag her to hell by repossessing her home. Mm-hmm. And, and with her final, her final act is, is to curse them, to curse, to curse these, these banking officials with, with the true power of demons, the true leftist demons that <laughs> subsequently avenge her, avenge her death, avenge the uh, capitalist banking system that tried to destroy her, and we get a really happy ending where we watch a class trader get dragged to hell. Oh, it's a one, one to watch with Aww. with your kids as well. It's it's um, a hard, it's a hard, it's a very dark movie because it's not from it's not from the old woman's perspective. I really like that retelling of it though. Yeah, yeah. So, so the uh, probably the you know the the layperson's interpretation, the incorrect reading, if you will, of this <laughs> film. Uh, Christine Brown is uh, she works at a bank, and and you know she she's like a middle uh, uh, lending official somewhere in the bank. I don't I don't know if we ever really get her proper title, mm-hmm. um, but she's she's vying for a promotion uh, against this uh, coworker of hers who's a real jerk. And uh, early on in the movie, we get the scene where she goes up to her boss and she's like, hey, what can I do for this promotion? I'm really good at this job. And the boss is like, well, you're going to have to start making tough decisions. You're a little soft. Mm-hmm. And of course, the first person that she puts the axe to and repossesses the home of 
is Mrs. Ganoush, an, an elderly Romani woman who is still connected to the old ways and the old power. Uh, Christine is cursed by a demon that will torment her for three days and then drag her to hell. And in proper Sam Raimi horror fashion, the rest of the movie is disgusting sight gags, uh, way over the top gore, and and uh, absolutely amazing effects. And ultimately, the the demon wins. Spoiler alert: uh, <laughs> the demon wins at the end. Hulk, the Hulk does the clue, not. The clue is in the title. Yeah, the title's a bit of a giveaway. <laughs> <laughs> like, like this does not go well for Christine at all. Could you imagine um, if, if other movies had this title? If it was like Jaws Eats People? <laughs> Giant Shark. <laughs> Giant Shark. Um, yeah, it's a little on the nose, perhaps, but it, it's... That's a um, Sam Raimi thing, though. Yeah. Like, for, for his horror, it's very, it's very upfront about what it is. Yeah, you don't need to, you don't need to sort of... What I really like about Raimi is that he's, he's a director who's never been, like in the slightest bit concerned about like the denigration of being a genre filmmaker you know because like there's that critical thing of like oh they're good for a genre filmmaker you know mm -hmm. uh, it happens quite a lot in literature too people don't like to be lumped in as a kind of genre writer but Raimi's like nope that's what I do and I'm really good at it <laughs> and I think that like at least by my estimation like the artists who make the best horror are artists who kind of embrace that idea you know you have people like Rob Zombie, who unflinchingly commit to this aesthetic, whether or not it leads them down the correct path on one end. <laughs> and then you've got people like Vincent Price on the other. Like, Vincent Price was never cross or upset with being typecast as a villain. Yeah, no. and, and on many occasions, you know, said things like the true, the true beauty in acting, the true power of an actor is to give depth to, to these characters that in, that in lesser hands would be disposable. Yeah. And I think that's that, that's part of the beauty of Sam Raimi's uh, horror direction is is he's able to breathe so much life in, yeah, into something that's so easy to phone in. So where should we start then with Drag Me to Hell? Aside from just talking about just what a quality horror film director Sam Raimi is. Sam Raimi's just he's just a good he just gets the goods. He's good at directing movies. This is a genuinely scary film. Yeah. Uh, and it is, uh, as you mentioned, it's, it is also extremely funny in places. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, yeah, you get, you get the, um, uh, like, like I know, I know they're uh, very troubling to go rewatch, but Sam Raimi um, and his kind of crew of people, Ivan Raimi, Bruce Campbell, uh, and a few others, heavily mm -hmm. inspired by the Three Stooges. Yeah, you can so tell. You and, can and you, you, so yeah, you tell. See the, the, that aesthetic, how you time those kind of jokes, like like what kind of physical humor you try to accomplish, like like that echoes through his horror work as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. But um, as far as far as like a critical uh, uh, explication of this film goes, I think we should I think we should start at the top. We should start at the cursing. Uh, yeah, I feel absolutely. like this, it's the pivot point of of the movie. So um, so. We, uh, it's actually, it's a deeply kind of unsettling scene where, where, uh, this character is sort of begging for her home to not be repossessed. And, um, uh, Christine just says no, that the bank is going to take back their home. And then there is this long protracted, um, scene where she, this, this, this old woman makes, sort of makes, she makes a bit of a spectacle of herself, like basically begging to be allowed to stay in a home and the security are called and it's really sort of viscerally kind of affecting 
Um, because there, isn't there this moment where she accuses Christine of like shaming her? Yeah. So, so what I would say about that scene is, uh, for for me rewatching this now, like I first watched this movie in two thousand nine. I was like three years out of high school, right? Didn't have really a good a good sense of like home ownership and the true weight of of financial consequence as it's yeah, levied yeah. under capital. And now rewatching it, like that scene is horrifying. It's horrible. That Just is like, horrible. Like, like it affected me in a way that usually, like, it takes a new French extremity film to affect me. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Like, no, it I is just—it's so real and flat and disgustingly true. You know, like, like, like her, her begging. Like, I think um, it's it's meant to come off as maybe a little camp, maybe a little over the top. Yeah, yeah. But like, let's, let's be real. That's exactly what it is. True. Yeah, but when you give when you give a little thought to it, like you know, like this is an old woman. Mm-hmm. You know, like Lord knows she's got medical problems. This is this is America. You know that means massive debt. You know yep. she's she's about to lose her home, which means yep. you know, potentially she'll be homeless. She'll have to live in in an old folks' home, and those are notoriously poor yep. in, in terms uh, of the care and abuse that they give to the people who live there. Or maybe like her family would have to take her on, and that's a lot of stress for everyone involved. Yeah. So like this is quite literally a death sentence for Mrs. Ganush. You know, she, she's not she's not begging to keep a house she likes. She's begging not to die. And, like, that's what makes the historical context of this film feel so loaded, right? Yes, yes. 2008, the subprime mortgage crisis, a huge, like, swathe of repossessions, huge amounts of homes just standing empty, uh, so many people who were forced out of their homes... Um, so this this is not it is done in that kind of classic Raimi aesthetic, which is a little bit sort of schlocky and a little bit campy oh, yeah. and, and also also scary. But it's really tied in, in to like actual concrete historical events that are yeah. ongoing. That are ongoing. I should add. Oh yeah, the ramifications of these things have not slowed down or stopped or derailed at all. Yeah, totally. So that scene is that scene is brutal. It is just it is is so powerful too, especially when you consider Christine's position in that scene. Mm. It, it it for me becomes so much darker because you know when you look at the movie more broadly, Christine doesn't really need the promotion. Well, she doesn't seem to. No. Or she, she, yeah, there's there's nothing in the movie that would intimate that she needs the promotion at all. Like that she's in financial difficulty, or like she's got like masses of financial commitments that she has like right. family that she has to take or care even of like so, 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 you know like a lot of times in movies like this you know where, where a lot of the plot hinges on someone getting a promotion yeah, yeah. you know either either they're, they're destitute or there's a bill to pay off or, or you we get we get some scene where we know their greater aspiration for the money you know mm-hmm. like we would get we would get a scene where like you know she'd be like oh you know uh, my my little cousin billy like i'm gonna help you get into that college or something like that you know i just need i just need that money or, or like you know, like she, you know, she would be like, "Oh, I really want to volunteer or give back to the youth home or something." But we don't even get that. There's no, there's no motivation for her outside of personal gain. Yeah, because that's what you're supposed to do, right? She's working in a corporate environment. The job is mm-hmm. you climb the ladder. Yeah, and when we see when we see her home later on, and the clothes that she wears, and the cars she drives, it's all very comfortably middle class. Yeah, this is someone who's not really struggling. Or, I mean, like, I, I mean, wouldn't even say struggling at all. Like, this is comfortable middle class living in America. It's it's certainly nowhere near a gay space communist utopia. But, but like, she's not sweating at night. 
and and so there is this this moment of cursing um which it basically does really sort of tie into the kind of the subprime mortgage crisis of america uh along with but done through the medium of like body horror and sight gags <laughs> yes oh my god i love i love the scene of the, those two fighting is is maybe one of my all-time favorite scenes in cinema i was mentioning this just before we started recording but uh it that moment has one of my favorite jokes in the entire film in yep where the sort of uh the the spirit of, of mrs Gunush tries to attack her in a car mm-hmm. and she tries to bite her but Mrs. Ganesh has taken out her dentures, so <laughs> she just ends up sort of gumming her face. <laughs> oh man! And the... So it so it is both oh, scary so and gross, and also really kind of funny. <laughs> which is which is which is Sam Raimi's aesthetic. It's a it's a steady yeah, it's and constant cla- mixture of the three of those. Classic Raimi. Classic yeah. Raimi. Do depending. I think I think a lot of how you appreciate a Raimi film kind of depends on your proximity to horror. Like you, you and I, oh, yeah. who have like like soaked our brains morning, noon, and night in spookiness for countless aeons now, these are very these are very comical films, right? Oh, but yeah, totally. but for, for the uninitiated, like being being soaked head to toe in like a sticky human gore, maybe 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 that would kind of you know squick them out a little. Yeah, but this is normies. the thing, right? Just because just because just because it's funny doesn't mean it isn't also scary oh no yeah absolutely yeah because that's one thing that Raimi really gets is that something can totally be both of those things yeah and 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 often oftentimes the things that are funny are scary like the the space between the two is not very far at all no not at all um and so almost one thing that I did notice about watching this film is that it's edited really tightly so if anything I think it's a little bit too short true because there's this um sort of almost immediately afterwards Christine goes, oh, I need to go get, like, something feels weird, so I need to go get my fortune told. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, okay, is this the first thing that we're going to jump to? All right. <laughs> yeah, it, oh, it is, oh, it is oh, a little like, bit of a jump. Like, the, like, a, like, there was a wind and, like, the door slammed, so clearly it means there's a poltergeist. Right. <laughs> um, and that's when, that's when, so if anything, I do think that the film kind of maybe rattles through everything just a little bit too quickly. But I don't think that's a problem. Yeah, you know, I, I would I would agree. Like like on a, on a technical level, I would complain that a lot a lot of the jumps in action are a little abrupt. You know, and yeah. it lacks it lacks that haste. Kind of makes it la- like a lot of the beauty in the Raimi films is that they slow down. Yeah, you know, like yeah, like yeah. Raimi's horror movies are okay with just like pumping those brakes for a little bit and letting you really soak up a particular scene that should have ended a while ago. But I'm I get thinking, that that's probably because of um, the requirements of trying to get like a ninety-minute feature film out. So the editing oh yeah. and and post-production on it had to be like really snappy. And it's it's probably also a case of like now that he has like the money and the clout, there's less people suggesting things and questioning him, and less you know uh, circumstance to work under. So you don't yeah. get you don't get like one of the most beautiful shots in all of cinema, which is in Evil Dead when Ash just goes woodshed. And then you get those, yes. those those four cuts as he as yeah, he yeah. prepares to cut up his girlfriend. Um, but yeah, so I guess that means we should probably talk about the character of Christine a little bit. So let's do it. Uh, you mentioned something that I, thought was really, uh, that I thought was really interesting uh, before we started recording about some of the criticism that this film had received. Yeah, so um, th- this movie came out in two thousand nine. 
And when it was released, um, it was it was generally uh, applauded, generally enjoyed. It did very well um, as far as like a somewhat disposable Sam Raimi horror movie is ever going to do. It, uh, mm. Roger and Ebert loved it. Yes, I knew they would. Right? Yeah, of course, of course they would because this hits their their they're like Sam Raimi guys. This is their sensibility for horror, especially. Yeah, Ebert would Ebert would be all over this. Yep. Um, but one of one of the major uh, negative or harsher criticisms was that the movie's treatment of Christine is very misogynist. Uh, this is not a criticism that is uh, at all new to horror. <laughs> horror tends to. Uh, be a misogynist genre and a lot of the time uh but the but spe- we, we've talked about this before though, oh yeah like yep. yes there can be there is actually um like plentiful evidence throughout horror's entire existence of misogyny but one of the important things one of the interesting things about the horror genre is its uh, liminality its ambivalence its ability to be both uh misogynist and potentially a source of kind of like uh especially in the early text kind of proto-feminist agency in action oh yeah absolutely the early the early gothic texts texts even castle of otranto like yeah, it's, totally. it's, it's hard to say that there isn't some kind of proto-feminist proto-queer undertone to those to those texts even though that's emerging hundreds of years before those discourses would really start to congeal but but you know the point that actually horror is misogynist is not one which is completely unfounded and is actually something that should be taken quite seriously oh yeah yeah definitely but for, for this for this particular criticism for this particular film i do strongly disagree because the particular criticism for this film is that uh the character of christine brown as 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 we've touched touched on like her kind of the, the starting conflict for her that really gets the movie going is her wanting to move up the corporate ladder at uh her bank <clears throat> Even though, by, by all accounts, there's really no motivation for her to do so outside of just personal accomplishment. Yeah. And the the criticism that's been given of of this film uh, is that Christine that is misogynist by undercutting Christine's uh, growth up the corporate ladder. It's it's very much the whole like more women drone pilots uh, <laughs> uh, kind of discourse. But um. I think for me, like like that perspective privileges Christine, who's an upwardly mobile middle class white woman, mm-hmm. um, against Mrs. Ganush, who who is in a much yep. more vulnerable position. You know, like uh, the 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 whole point about like uh, feminism or left feminism or however you want to like more specifically uh, do do that is to appreciate the broader the broader context of intersectionality. Mm-hmm. And in the broader context of intersectionality, Christine is the villain of this movie. You know, she is she's the Cruella de Vil here. Oh, know? and that is not even subtextual to the film, right? Oh yeah, no. At the, right at the very end, she actually she actually admits to Justin Long, who plays her boyfriend, that she it wasn't her boss's fault that this woman had the extension on her mortgage denied. Mm-hmm. It was her fault because she chose. She she was the one who decided. So. It's not even it's not even a stretch to say that the villain of this piece is is also the main character. Like it's just true. Yeah, and to and to privilege Christine over Mrs. Ganush in your reading, like that just smacks of classism, romophobia, ageism, you know, et cetera and so forth. Yeah, completely. Um and I think then that kind of raises some broader interesting questions. Uh so like Sam Raimi is is 
clearly not someone who is a huge fan of the American banking system. Let's just say that. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. You know, if this movie suggests anything, Mr. Raimi does have a few pointed criticisms of the institution. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, Sam Raimi, comrade. <laughs> comrade Raimi. <laughs> um, and I think it's interesting that, that like, the film was criti- criticized on those kind of very superficial... Um, very um, kind of aesthetic, political levels, right? That, oh, you're criticizing somebody because they made choices to advance their career. But yeah. that's, but, you know, that's also something that it's a career that has the capacity to do huge amounts of harm. So why would we, why would we take that seriously even for a second? Right. I, I would go one step further and to say it's not even a career that has a capacity to do great harm, but it's a career that only exists to do great harm. Yeah, true. Yeah. And and like I think this like it's this is the failing of like like I guess liberal quote unquote wokeness, you know it's like it's like all those people that like um uh, on the on the anniversary of Margaret Thatcher's death were like like doing those like yeah, yeah. rest rest in power tweets for Thatcher uh, uh. Thatcher like yeah, oh was, my fucking was, god the there was a thing in the um, hagiography there, there. A, uh newspaper of like. She was the first women prime minister, but yeah. why did so many feminists dislike her? Uh, maybe because like, she was directly responsible for their deaths. Like, I might have something to do with it. Maybe d- just a, just a drop. Maybe maybe politics actually has material impacts, and it isn't just about the spectacle of aesthetics that is what we should be paying attention to. Who knows? <laughs> right, and like that, that's kind of one of my favorite things about this movie is like right off the bat, like. I, I don't I don't know um what Raimi's personal politics are. I wouldn't be surprised to find out that they lean in one direction or another. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I think we could I think we could guess that he might um lean maybe maybe not towards the right. <laughs> uh, you know, one one would hope, but you know, at the end of the day like these are like hyper rich weirdos and it's impossible to ever guess where they fall politically. Uh, but from the text but, oh make... yes from this text but but what i was saying is that like not not knowing the politics of Raimi, like he hit on some really solid you know like like left and marxist criticisms of of american business of of the banking industry as a whole of the yep. the failings of like liberal wokeness yep absolutely yeah you know it isn't it isn't <laughs> that that's that's the the kind of classic twitter uh, beat of like let christine get promoted you're right yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like well maybe maybe what she does is bad maybe maybe even the, even this person who likes to think of themselves as good is invested and complicit in vast systemic amounts of harm and i actually think that that's quite a challenging political point for what Absolutely. is ostensibly yeah. a disposable horror movie to be making mm-hmm yeah, I, I completely agree because you know the implication of Christine Brown in her denial of Mrs. Ganush's mortgage is is a tacit implication of all of us. Yeah, exactly. For we all, all deserve, of the times we we've done something similar, deserve this. Yeah. we all deserve this. Exactly. We and it isn't. And as I say, it's not until right at the end where she, because throughout the entire film, she's going, "It wasn't my fault. Mm-hmm. My boss made. My boss told me I had to do this. I had to do this." But right at the end, she admits, "Actually, you know what? No, I chose to do this." And like those those systems are maintained by by action by what people do, 
by by the continued acquiescence of all of those all of the people who are bound up within those systems. Holy shit! Sam Raimi's a Maoist third worldist. <laughs> M- M- Mrs. Ganush, as as a, as a member of the transient Romani people, represents uh, in a broader context uh, the third world resistance to to the uh, capitalist expansion and hegemony of the quote unquote West. Right, represented herein by Christine. Christine's mm-hmm. tacit complicity in, in the literal impending death of, of the entire third world and Mrs. Ganesha's completely justified violence in, in her attempt at, at dethroning Christine. And Hot takes with Ash. <laughs> uh, somebody, somebody send Sam Raimi an email and see how he feels about, like, I don't know, third worldism and pesadism or something. <laughs> Um, but hang on, though. There's one other thing that we should add in here, um, which is that the basic function of a mortgage is something that's deeply spooky. Let's right? do it. The, Let's go there. Because a mortgage is basically the investment of future time, right? It's a mm-hmm. spectral phenomenon that's kind of like concretized through finance. You're basically like a mortgage is, is the French that it's derived from, which is what a deal with the dead. Mm-hmm. So, like, I've written about this before that, like, homes are possessed and repossessed, right? Yeah. Like, so, American capitalism is not just a material force, but it is also a kind of, like, psychic endeavor to not just kind of colonize uh, materially, but also imaginatively, spiritually, spookily. Yeah, ab- absolutely, right? And you can we can take this... Uh into another context, like, like so much of the American economic system is bound up in the concept of loans and loaning. Yeah, you know, absolutely. Like there is... especially, especially as increasingly what's, there's this kind of uh, inextricable tension that's emerging between the massive expansion of production mm-hmm. and the massive contraction of ownership. Yeah. That's a necessary relationship, right? So you no longer own your own home. You have to rent. You no longer own a car. You have to have Uber. You, you no longer even... Um, own furniture you can lease furniture mm-hmm. you no longer uh, so like everything is now leased rented mortgaged remortgaged so like the object itself no longer expresses any kind of use value but it is in fact this kind of spooky embodiment of all this kind of future time that you're going to be paying for yeah and this reminds me of a lot of uh, i don't know why it would remind me of this at all but this reminds me a lot of like uh, crippling student loan debt <laughs> it's, it's, it's that exact comp. It's, it's that exact uh, a concept. It's this Faustian bargain where you've traded uh, uh, an, an undefinable chunk of your future for yeah. for this ephemeral document that, and you know, the the discourse around student loan debt is that's quote unquote good debt because it's debt that's going to pay itself off because it allegedly gives you access to better economic conditions. Although that is flatly not true for the vast majority it's just not of people true, who go it? through it's this just, system. It's just not true. That's a, it's a lie. That's a lie that we've all been told. Right, yeah. And the only um, people who benefit from this are the people who are have found ways to predatorially game the system, just like with mortgaging and subprime mortgages. Yeah, absolutely. It's no surprise that, like, 2009, the subprime mortgage crisis, like, these were, that's, that's how capitalism classifies people. People were classed as being subprime lenders. Uh, subprime borrowers rather and that would disproportionately uh, like there's been a huge amount of policy work that shows that this disproportionately fell upon low-income communities mm-hmm. people of color yep. ethnic minorities in the united states and they were hugely 
like like whole communities just decimated by foreclosures people like like mrs ganush (laughs) yes absolutely especially the elderly you know people who'd lived in their own homes for a very long time and suddenly Mm -hmm. hit financial problems home value collapses which means the homes are in negative equity so they are as they as the mortgage lenders would call it they're underwater so like then they become easy to repossess and sell on so that you can minimize the loss but that's but that's uh honestly you know if you don't if you watch this film and don't get to the end by going yeah you probably had this coming then i don't know if you've really been paying attention yeah, you definitely haven't like like christine christine is a traitor you know she she betrays you know the rest of the working class for a shot at a promotion at some mediocre banking job somewhere with no with no greater aspiration for for nothing for nothing more than like this is just what she has to do this is just what you do when you're in that kind of line of work yeah absolutely absolutely there's there's um there's no there's no possibility there's no mention there's no seemingly no possibility of of kind of any kind of collective action of class consciousness of of solidarity it's so noticeable that she's in almost every scene and aside from justin long uh her boyfriend doesn't seem to have many other relationships with people Mm -hmm. um so this is this is a kind of damning indictment of not only the 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 kind of tensions and antagonisms within the american mortgage system that brought about the last a uh, great economic crisis and are probably going to bring about the next one. Um, but also like the kind of collapse of, of, of like collective action. Yeah. Yeah. That, that is, that's we're all, absolutely we're true. All complicit, basically we're all complicit. Yeah. And, and I think um, one, of, one of the interesting places that this um, pops up in the film is when um, Christine goes to see uh, Sean Sandena Mm-hmm. The uh, so so the, there's, a, there's a point um, in in the in the movie where Christine has been visiting um, a spiritualist and a uh, uh, clairvoyant by the name of Ram Jass, and and uh, you know through finding out what the demon is and what's going to happen to her, Ram suggests that Christine go see Shansan Dena, a mm-hmm. more powerful spiritual force, but. You know, this isn't this isn't an act of altruism on Ram Jass's part. This isn't uh, part of like a greater quest to rid the world of its demons or something. Uh, Ram Jass needs a ten thousand dollars finder fee. Yeah, absolutely. To to go see Sean Sondena, which is totally emblematic of the American healthcare system. Like, oh, you're you're being set beset by a demon, the Lamia. You've got three days until you're dragged to hell. Ooh, that's ten thousand up front, please. <laughs> that's before results. We'll talk the rest later. <laughs> yeah. and like, like um, you know not, not to belittle Ram Joss's character because I really like Ram Joss or, uh, which yeah, same, is uh, uh, Dilip Rao in this, in this film like, yeah like really really hilarious, good Rao's excellent beautifully acted fantastic same with um, Adriana uh, Barraza who did Sean Sandena um, mm-hmm. but you know like to, you know, to, to the character Ram Joss's credit you know like after, after the funds are paid forward he does stick around in trying to, in trying to defeat uh, the demon and to save Christine yeah but but I do, I do find that that's interesting. Like you know, like that you gotta you gotta cough it up. You know, if, if you want if you want that healthcare. Yeah, exactly. And um, I did have a moment watching the film where he mentions <laughs> Ramjas deliberately uh, brings up Jung. Yep. And and I, I I was suddenly like, 
Oh no, Jordan B. Peterson flashbacks. Not if you're. Yeah, you know, I really didn't. I really didn't understand that tangent where Ram Jones was talking about the posture of lobsters and the defeat of the chaos demons. But now I really get it. If only she had cleaned her room. If only. <laughs> um, but that scene where he mentions Young, because uh, Justin Long, who whose character name I can't remember because he's that non-memorable, um, is also a psychologist, right? So they go to this spiritual advisor, the spiritualist, and. Um, he mentions, Ramjas mentions uh, Jung, uh, to which Justin Long replies, oh, that's always the, the mystic's favorite psychologist. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, yeah, because Jung admits the possibility of non-material forces, right? He's not a reductionist. Yeah. But it is so interesting that he kind of also expects a kind of bit of material kickback here, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? I'll help you get rid of your... De- like, oh, it's a nice existence you got here. Shame if something were to happen to it. <laughs> and and I, know, I know this mantra has been kind of devolved and used as an excuse to just kind of like YOLO, but like no ethical consumption under capitalism. Even, yeah, yeah, even totally. venturing forth into these spiritual realms have been tainted, you know, by the reach of capital. Yeah. Like, we can help you banish this uh, demon that's going to drag you down to hell and feast on your soul, but first gotta get paid right <laughs> so they don't do it for any ethical or altruistic reasons right <laughs> yeah not not until later on not until later on when when uh rom joss is definitely committed to to a certain extent to defeating this demon or perhaps his fee has been paid and now he's sticking around <laughs> yeah <clears throat> yeah so um there is there is i think some really interesting things happening here in this film about kind of um, that sort of centrist, liberal, we panglossian version of like you know this is the best of all possible worlds can only be a coherent idea if you're prepared to kind of deny or disavow your own involvement in all of the awful things that happen in the world. Yeah. But you go, oh, it's uh, you know it's just a job. It's just a job. It's it's fine. You know, I'm just one person. It doesn't really matter. But there's also great significance in kind of those individual actions, right? So I think that's that's where the, there's a really interesting point that this film is driving at, I think. Yeah, and back to your back to your earlier point about like um individualism and class action and things like that. Like I think I think there is a strong example of of class action and class unity in this film, and I think that it's Mrs. Ganush. Yeah, so so Mrs. Ganush does have solidarity with with an entity a being a certain son of the goat uh mrs <laughs> mrs ganush is in league with the lamia you know like like they they are unified together in purpose here to to defeat you know the, the this economic economic system to topple capital right curse your mortgage lender <laughs> right this is this is very much like the hex the patriarchy kind of thing like you know, we we're not really privy to Mrs. Ganush's relationship to these spiritualities and forces, right? We outside of the fact that um, she is Romani and this is uh, somehow related to her cultural practices and beliefs, but we don't know, like you know, if it, are, are they you know just in league with each other? Is there some kind of exchange being made between Ganush and the Lamia? But you know, like nevertheless, they are unified in purpose and unified towards a goal. Mm, yeah, and I think that the, like on on kind of a metaphoric level, you know, like Mrs. Ganush is still connected in with a class history, you know, with a yeah, cultural and- history, with an ethnic history. 
That's why I find it so, that scene right at the beginning where she's turned down for the extension on her mortgage and there's this kind of really public spectacle of her emotions and her feelings about it. And, and she says that, you know, she's being shamed. She's being shamed by this. And it's like, yeah, I think that's true. I think that's a really, that, that's, that's how kind of class ideology works, right? It works by exerting shame as a disciplining function if you fail to abide by its kind of normative values, especially in, in the field of economics. There's a whole discourse in contemporary politics about people who don't deserve to access like the social safety net mm -hmm. or, yep. you know, who don't deserve the $15 minimum wage in the States. And it's like, how can you, like, that's the, it's the politics of spite, right? But the kind of intended affect that that's aiming to produce in the people who are subject to that is shame. Yeah, absolutely. But the one, the one force you can't mean te means test is the Lamia. Yeah. Is, is you can't means test class unity. You know, you can't, you can't means test solidarity between individuals and between bodies. Yeah, precisely. Even, even if is, one of them is a goat demon. Even if one of them is a goat demon. Let's <laughs> <laughs> come to, let's come to, uh, uh, take your mortgage lender off to hell I mean, after three days of torturing them. That sounds legit. That doesn't sound like a problem. That sounds like a solution. <laughs> so what we need, what we need then, is not just the kind of like um, unity between you know anarchists and, um, and Marxists, but it has to include uh, goat demons, <laughs> all of the all of the, the the spookiest creatures of the night. Oh, oh yeah, um, absolutely. Not vampires, though, because vampires have always been a kind of uh, psychic projection of the upper classes. Um, so, so no unity with vampires, but definitely with oh yeah, with well, all va the vampires rest. are class traitors. So yeah, that, that's an, along with Gizmo, they're class traitors, and that's an obvious fact. <laughs> uh, long running. That's a that that's a horror vanguard deep cut joke. Horror there. vanguard episode one callback. It was episode two. I can't remember. It's been it's been so long now. Um, no, precisely. I think that's that's an interesting idea of what does what does, um, not just a kind of like material solidarity look like, but can you can you read this film as practicing a kind of spiritual or spooky solidarity that goes into the kind of uh, spiritual realm? Yeah, and I think um one of the successful ways you can read that though uh, definitely is as you can read. Uh, Mrs. Ganesha's conjuring of the Lamia as as a modality of direct action. You know? <laughs> I knew you I knew you were gonna bring this up. So just like sabotage <laughs> in the early nineteen hundreds, uh and, and and even before that with like the Luddites. Uh, and also with strikes, you know, mm -hmm. with walkouts, with sit-ins, you know, with shutting down your own shop. Yep. You know, the the summoning of the Lamia is direct action, and and as the saying goes, direct action gets the goods. You know, like like Mrs. Gush yeah. is, you know, she unfortunately dies before she's able to witness the glorious victory she's attained. But, you know, she does ultimately defeat her oppressor. She does. She does defeat this woman who has just uh, robbed her of uh, possibly her life. Yeah, but like in this film, surely death is not so much a problem. I mean, if you're making if you're making kind of if you're weaponizing goat demons, then surely you don't need to really worry if you've died. 
And it's so interesting that you say that she doesn't get to see any of this, where oh, the true, camera yeah. actually focuses a great deal upon her face, even after she's died. True, yeah. There's the, there's this this there's so much really good slapstick in this as well. <laughs> yes. There's the scene where Christine ends up going to her wake, yep, like falling so on top good. of the coffin, and they're like literally eyeball to eyeball. Mm-hmm. Um, so no, she totally gets to see her glorious victory, even in death. Even in death. <laughs> I think that, I think that's I think that's it's really interesting you bring that up how um how strong and alive uh Lorna Raver's character is Mrs. Ganesh even after her Great character's performance. death. Yeah, oh my god, an amazing performance. Just so committed. Commits so 100% good in it. But I think that you know one of the things that brings up for me is that even if like you know the 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 consequences of capitalism and and things like you know like the subprime mortgage crisis especially that rob people of their homes right right the, the, these things aren't just of the moment they're they're not just locked mm-hmm. into the individuals they happen to but they radiate kind of forever downward mm-hmm. you know like like mrs ganosh now cannot pass on that ancestral wealth to her children you know her her children mm-hmm. don't have access to that home anymore it's been taken from her you know she she can't she can't give it to her surviving relatives and we, we see that like you know like you know, probably one of the strongest examples of this is slavery in the united states there's there's just so much generational wealth that's been robbed from african americans yeah there's been some really important um policy studies on the um the wealth holdings of of families from different racial backgrounds that is just like the differences are just staggering yeah, they're and they're massive, and it's and it's just capital has kind of weaponized racism and race to decide who gets to be the gatekeeper for ancestral wealth and who does not. So, um, I I I'm, I really like this idea that you you brought up of this kind of like direct action. I don't know whether I I don't know whether I completely agree. <laughs> <laughs> so, so so you don't think summoning the Lamia to destroy the mortgage industry is the equivalent of a factory sit-in or a wildcat strike? <laughs> Good sir. Um, <laughs> uh you know what? I think maybe they've got more in common than we kind of commonly admit. Um yeah. yeah so, <laughs> I'll agree with that. We can talk about Christine's attempt to get rid of the curse when she has the button. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's a really interesting moment, right? So Yeah. So they work out that the curse is focused around a button that Mrs. Ganesh tore off her coat, and she's cursed this object and returned it to her, and the Lamia is going to drag to hell whoever is in possession of this cursed object and so after their kind of failed seance uh they decide she decides that actually what she's going to have to do is she's going to have to give this away to somebody and there's that really interesting and quite sort of bleak moment where she's sitting in the diner just ordering coffee and just like eyeing up potential victims (laughs) (laughs) Um, but a great, a great kind of showcase of the ways in which we kind of want to preserve our own sense of goodness, right? So we'll pass on the negative consequences to. And I think that this is this is a reoccurring theme in Sam Raimi's horror movies too. We have these these heroes who are very morally ambiguous, or these protagonists rather, who are very morally ambiguous, like Ash from the Evil Dead series, 
Yeah. You know, in, in um in the first Evil Dead, Ash is he he doesn't have that cockiness that the character has become known for now, and that kind of like self centered focus. Mm-hmm. But through all the rest of the movies, like this definitely develops that he's a protagonist, but certainly not a hero. And I think we can say the same thing for Christine that she's the protagonist of this, but definitely not the hero of the story. Because, um, yeah, because she she ends up almost giving it to her colleague, right? So this is the guy who's in the running for this assistant manager job, Stu, who is clearly not as good at the job as, mm-hmm. as she is, um, and is like a brown noser and like a bootlicker and a creep, and is desperately trying to climb the corporate pole even quicker than she is. Um. But she doesn't do it. She doesn't. She doesn't curse her co- her colleague. Were you disappointed? Oh uh, yeah, I was. I was really disappointed, and I think I'm even more disappointed now because I think there are successful left readings of that, and there are successful like left interpretations of those consequences. Mm-hmm. Right, because like Christine, from the beginning of the movie, is kind of a reluctant participant of the system she's found herself in. Like she recognizes, yeah. like it's it's intimated to us that she is very lenient as as like a, a mortgage lending official yeah and and that on more than one occasion has let people slide on things people yeah. much presumably much like mrs ganoche uh me- meanwhile stew is much more heartless much more brutal much more much more ready to to get the goods for the bank yeah absolutely and like you know like like there, there there's kind of a lost redemption arc for christine there because you know christine giving the button to stew you know, like, like, you know, could could have successfully been Christine's recognition of class economics, Marxism, in not so many words. Yeah, and, absolutely. And a, moment, have, of, a, a of moment of direct um, direct action and resistance against it. I mean, you know, this, if if you're genuinely sorry about something, you do something different, right? Yeah. You take you take the side of those who are oppressed. Um, and so that would have been a great idea. <laughs> right you know it could have been a win-win or that, that, that even i mean like you know c- conversely that could have been the birth of her as a much darker character you know like now yeah, she totally. is willing to do what it needs to climb the ladder including murder yeah exactly and i also i also think it's interesting that she tries um so at a, at a certain point ram josh uh joss lets christine know that she can give the button to a dead person yeah and that will be just as effective and she so, so the button is in an, is in a plain white envelope. Yeah, and un- unbeknownst to Christine, she has uh, mistakenly swapped envelopes, you know, with a different yeah. plain white envelope. Yep. And she she kind of she she digs up the grave of Mrs. Ganoche and 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 gives her corpse the envelope. And in a very in a really <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's. It's the moment. It's one of the scenes that I really enjoyed because it's so, it's so, it gets so over the top. And just as you think it can't get over any more over the top, no, nope, we're gonna have more rain. We're gonna have more jump scares. We're gonna have the mud and the and the the rainwater filling the grave and pushing mm-hmm. this dead body uh, until it looks like it's actually getting a piggyback from Christine. <laughs> We're gonna have a knocked unconscious by a falling crucifix. Yep. Oh, uh, it's it's such a good scene. It's, it's it's very Sam Raimi. It's excellent. But yeah, like I think I think it's interesting that she tries to return the curse to to Mrs. Ganush. Mm-hmm. That she, as someone who has cursed Mrs. Ganush in life, is now trying to curse her in death. Yep. You know, and that reminds me of like, you know, like this is a, a 
like like a, a metaphorizing of like the whole bootstrap ideology you know like oh like you know this isn't mrs ganoush failing because the evil bank repossessed her house that it should never have had to begin with this yeah. is mrs ganoush failing now because she just didn't have it to begin with yeah yeah exactly exactly and so actually that moment where and then it comes to be right at the end where she she now believing that she's passed on the curse to this poor lady who that she turfed out of her house while she was living and has now condemned her to uh an, an eternity in hell uh she she now feels great about herself and uh, she's walking to, through the train station because her and her boyfriend are going to go on a, a long weekend somewhere and she decides she's going to get herself that beautiful new coat that she sees <laughs> Uh, and she's like, you know, I deserve this. It's really special. Uh, and that's when uh, Justin Long gets to tell her, oh, by the way, I found I found the, the envelope with the old button in. I was hoping maybe you could sew it back onto your coat. Uh, and there's the great kind of moment of realization of what's happened. Yep. The great, the, such a good reveal of the fake out. Um, and that's how the film ends, and it ends in a really bleak fashion. Right, and, and the end is so sharp too. It, it just it just cuts and it's gone. Nope, done. Yep. <laughs> she, like she she falls onto the train tracks, and you're like, oh oh, this what, are we setting up for another big extended scare sequence? Nope, nope. The ground opens up, hands emerge from the fire, and she she just gets pulled down to hell as the train goes past and it just cuts to Justin Long's like horrified face yep. and that's where the film ends so so I was so prepared for like a very kind of Sam Raimi thing where like you know we, we, we cut to, to Justin Long's kind of horrified face and then like you know like there's a moment of silence and then one of Christine's hands comes back up and she emerges you know <laughs> yeah, yeah, kind of, yeah. it's kind of like it would be kind of a, a it's like poetry it rhymes <laughs> it would be like a spiritual connection to uh, you know, Evil Dead 1 and Evil Dead 2, you know, where Ash has to go through, like, all of this, like, disgusting, horrific, and painful trial before he's mm -hmm. allowed to emerge as kind of, like, the, the you know, like, badass kind of, you know, self-centered hero that Ash becomes throughout the series. And I, I, was, I was really expecting them to do that with Christine. Like, like Christine would emerge from the hot fires of hell, like, reborn as some, 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 something new, you know, you know, some kind of, like, anti-demon warrior, like Ash, or something like that. But, but no, nope. it just, it's over. It's done. Her story is done. She has been dragged to hell. To hell. And, of course, um, Justin Long has been left with the cursed object. Yes, left holding holding the button. So he's next one up. <laughs> um, right, yeah, he's, he's and, next in line to, to be dragged and, to hell. And... And and you know now there's going to be no escape. There's it's going to be it's going to be just as like abrupt. It's going to be he's going to be just as incapable of working around it. Um, and it turns out that even even the 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 goat demons won't won't allow you to disavow your your involvement in the kind of systemic exploitation of late capitalism. Thanks for tuning in, creeps and comrades. And remember, stay, stay spooky. spooky.